You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 11, Incesticide, side A. had some outtakes um, lying around which they wanted to release uh, but they realized that since Nirvana had gone to uh, a bigger company they might as well sell those outtakes to them and make sure that uh, there were more people that could listen to it. Obviously there's a lot of different version of this, versions of this story but this is sort of about what's, what's what. It basically comes down to uh, the fact that um, there was a lot of demand for Nirvana material. Exactly. So there um, was money to be made, but the band um, hadn't been able to come up with a new album just yet. No. Nope. With new or original material. Didn't have studio time. Just didn't finish uh, songwriting. Well, not process. at all. <laughs> so um, they had to put something out on the market. Exactly. Well, they didn't have to, but but they obviously to. they wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea came about to use those old sub-pop um, recordings, uh, maybe some newer stuff that hadn't been released everywhere yet, uh, or was just radio stuff to put it on an album. Apparently Kurt eventually agreed to that, mostly because Kurt uh, got the full artistic license. So he... Um, uh, decided what songs were going to be on there in which order. He made the artwork. He wrote uh, liner notes that weren't on all of the um, <laughs> versions that were brought out, brought out later. I think it was just the first pressing yeah. of it. But apparently it was something that he was quite happy about to at least uh, dive into that and do something artistic. So... Basically, even though they didn't record new stuff, he was apparently quite happy to dive into Nirvana outtakes and and make something new, at least to him, and uh, make sure that that the people out there also knew, I guess, that Nirvana wasn't just the more, um, let's say, more more commercial singles band that some of the audience thought they were. 
but that they had different sides as well and they were able to uh, to show those uh, through this album i think if you want to put something out just because you know that there's people out there who want to buy it and you don't have a new album to uh, to sell there's well, a couple of ways you can go. First of all, you could go for a greatest hits album, but all their hits were already on one <laughs> album, so that yep. wouldn't work. Um, they could have done a live album, uh, but I think um, this way to go is a lot more interesting. Yep. And I also read that something that was important for the band is that uh, a lot of these recordings were already sold on uh, bootleg recordings. Yep. Uh, and sometimes with inferior uh, inferior um, sound quality. So they thought, well, we might as well put something out uh, that's better. <laughs> and that's at least it's got our, our approval. Which I think they, they did very well because the, the the audio quality and also the, the, the overall feel of uh, the album, I think, is feels quite consistent for something that is consisting of uh, recordings from different sessions and, and well... Uh, different drummers <laughs> four different drummers four drummers yeah the sound quality at least sounds sounds pretty uh, uh pretty consistent so uh, i think the, the 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 mastering that was done on this was uh quite okay uh for that so um you want to hit play uh, for the yep. first track definitely uh, let's uh, dive into the album So that was a dive, the opening track um, for the for the album. Um, how do you like it? Um, I I really like this song, and I think it's it's a good opening. Obviously, it's it's a B side of the song that comes after it. <laughs> so it might feel a bit weird to have like a B side first instead of the original single it feels like like a proper opening i think for an album it has the the best of both worlds of nirvana i think it has that more guitar feeling from the earlier days but it has enough let's say enough melody to not put people off who only know nevermind so i think in that case it's 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 a good opener for something like this like ease ease in the the new people who don't know a lot about the band uh, but also uh, give out an interesting sign of like this is also who we are yeah Um, it's the only um, song on uh, Incesticide that was produced by uh, Butch Fig yep the the producer who also made Nevermind so it it makes sense that it has a a bit of a Nevermind feel to it but it's uh, basically a demo that they made for um, for the Nevermind album, and but they still owed um, Sub Pop uh, a song. <laughs> exactly. So they decided to give him uh, uh, this one. Yeah, and, I, I think. And, and this a, is this is Chad Channing, right, on drums? Yes, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Chad Channing on drums, but it sounds a bit bigger maybe because it's produced yeah. by Butch Vig. I I was um, looking for some of the lyrics. Um, I think we talked before about uh, <laughs> how hard it sometimes was to understand what 
what Kurt was singing and that people made like wrong notes of, of songs and, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, for this whole album, I think uh, that that also happened. I was I was Googling lyrics and like many lyrics on this album have like all kinds of different versions online, <laughs> which mm. is quite funny, um, especially because some of them are really, really different from each other. Um, this one as well. And also people with vastly different interpretations of what this song is about. A lot of people think it's about high school because it's like it's they, they, he sings like please pick me and and people think about like being in school and waiting to be picked for like the sports team or whatever. On the other hand, there's a lot of lines in there that to me at least link more to a romantic side of of the the whole pick me idea, like being in love with somebody and wanting to to be chosen by that person. Um, so it sort of also depends on which version of the lyrics you read, <laughs> which version you think is is the right one. Um, fun fact is that if you Google um, dive lyrics without uh, putting Nirvana in there, you don't get Nirvana at all. <laughs> you get Ed Sheeran. So um, let's just all put lyrics of Nirvana's dive online and and like raise that in Google stats so so you don't get like pages of Ed Sheeran before Nirvana. So please listen Because you have something against uh, Ed Sheeran? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, if you want to know more about that, maybe we should start an <laughs> anti-Ed Sheeran podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not my kind of music. I respect his his songwriting abilities. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> Very uh, political correct statement. <laughs> well, you already said that um, Dive was a song they had uh, lying around um, a bit longer. There's a demo version of it uh, recorded in 1989, uh, which was released on the uh, With the Lights Out uh, box set uh, oh, eventually. Right. Yeah. And especially towards the end, um, there's some uh, notable um, differences, I think. First of all, in the, in the, uh, the guitar solo. I think it's only one of the two songs that were recorded by Nirvana that has uh, J- Jason Everman on guitar. Right, yeah. Uh, the other one was the, the uh, Kiss cover song, which we've discussed in episode, I don't know, one of our <laughs> early podcast one episodes. Of them, yep. And uh, this is the other one. Uh, so we um, uh, go in with the guitar solo and then towards the end, first there's a, a very notable um, change in the lyrics and then there's some weird stuff going on that I don't really know what to make of. So uh, let's listen to the end of uh, Dive in the 
I don't know if you could hear it because you're on a uh, Skype connection and you're listening <laughs> in, uh, uh, to this uh, through Skype. Um, did you catch the end? Uh, uh, slightly. I'll amplify it a, a little bit in the final mix of the podcast so um, everybody can uh, can hear it. But the sound comes back in and goes back down. Yeah. And then somebody clearly hammers on a piano. Yeah, some, that that was what I thought I was hearing, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's what on there. Um, I guess that they were just messing around and that there was a piano in the studio or something <laughs> like that. And they thought it would be funny to bang out a few notes, but um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the story uh, behind it is. But no. it, 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 I was thinking, perhaps this is the only time in a Nirvana song that um, a piano or, or a keyboard or something like that was used. That can't is think of any other song. no. That's interesting. You might be right. Yeah. Although <laughs> it, it was used is is exactly yeah. the, the right phrase for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, I, did, yeah. I intentionally didn't say it was played. No. <laughs> it was used. It no, but you, you definitely may, may be right there. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like this version, by the way. It's it, because it's it's slightly slower and it feels a bit heavier. Than than the version that's on uh, on the album, I think it's interesting. Yeah, but maybe it's just a piano. Why it's <laughs> must be. Yeah, it. <laughs> the, the the subtle use of the piano really gives the song some extra texture and an extra dimension. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, are you ready to uh, go uh, on to the next song, which is a uh, sliver? Yes, definitely. Yeah, you already said that um, Dive was the B-side to the Sliver single. Yep. Um, but uh, well, Kurt made the decision, or at least I suppose it was Kurt who made the uh, decision to, uh, to change the order of the songs uh, for, uh, for the album. So yep. uh, let's listen to uh, Sliver. Dad went to a show They dropped me off at Grandpa Joe's I kicked and screamed, said please no. Grandma take me home, Grandma take me home Grandma take me home, Grandma take me home Grandma take me home, Grandma take me home Grandma take me home Yeah, and for those of you uh, uh, taking notes uh, This is already drummer number two <laughs> because uh, yep. on drums this time you heard uh, Dan Peters, the drummer from uh, Mud Honey, who was the drummer for Nirvana for about five minutes, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I I read somewhere in the interview. I I don't. Know, I probably I think it was Chris who probably said that, but I can't remember. Sorry, bad research. Um, <laughs> but that they they really enjoyed playing with him, and that it would have been a great fit, but. If they'd asked him for Nirvana and he's, he would have said yes, that would have been like horrible for Mud Honey and they didn't want that. So apparently that's why yeah. they kept him for only five minutes. No idea yeah, what's true too. about that, I've, but yeah. I've also read the response of Dan Peters who said it was total bullshit. <laughs> Mud Honey wasn't going to break up over that and uh, they, no. he didn't intend on uh, leaving Mud Honey even if he would <laughs> No, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, and I think. Gert later um, admitted that he too thought that Peters was a great drummer for them, but yeah. that Dave Grohl was the perfect drummer for them. Yeah, exactly. Which uh -huh. is kind of true, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, well, we, we've discussed this song before because, like we just said, it was released as a single, and uh, we came across it in a previous uh, episode. I think yep. what we didn't discuss just yet is uh, how they uh, recorded this one. <laughs> no, that's a that's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we discussed that, no. Yeah, they had to record a single uh, for a, a sub-pop. But, well, things were really, really tight. They didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of time. So um, a session was scheduled during uh, the lunch break of uh, Ted, the, another sub-pop band. <laughs> so they, they had to leave the studio to get a sandwich. And then Nirvana <laughs> guys came in and recorded a single uh, using uh, most of uh, Ted's gear. So that was, uh, was kind of... Kind of weird, but I think it fits the song to have it, you know, it's it's a simple song and it's recorded in a simple way. Yep. It's a bit, it's a childhood story, so uh, it sounds a bit naive and not too heavy or too produced or, or whatever. So no. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a perfect uh, recording of this song. For some reason, this song just, just like, it works the way it is. And it's, I mean, it's obviously not, not exactly the direction that Nirvana eventually went in but it has like it 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 has that that same that naive quality that makes it fit quite well I think on on this whole album the weird thing is that what I what I never really realized before um and and not when we discussed this song earlier but I think it's it's the the, the placement in in on this album that sort of gave me like Green Day vibes <laughs> all of a sudden for this song. It's like, right, this this could have, it's sort of that like Green Day was doing the whole um, pop punk rock kind of music um, yeah. just after after this. I think they broke in like 94, 95, something like that. I think so. I, I, I Just today I started reading a, a Green Day uh, biography. Mm-hmm. So uh, within a few weeks, I can probably uh, provide the answer. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> but anyway, I sort of it all of a sudden it sort of reminded me of of like the the the, the Green Day songs, especially from the beginning. I was like, yeah, this has kind of the same same sort of vibe to it, which I found interesting. Just yeah. And also, I think that what's his name, uh, the, the 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 singer from Weezer. River Cuomo. River Cuomo um, yeah. yeah, he he always said that that this song was like one of the biggest influences on his music career. So that also, even though Weezer is a different band, but it also sort of ties into that feel. So it's interesting. It was quite an um, influential song if you come to think about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And well, you just talked about the the, the placement on this album. I th- I suppose. Um, Kurt didn't want to open this album with a really accessible pop tune. Mm-hmm. No, I makes sense. He just wanted to, you know, make sure that if you put this on, that Dive gives a better idea of what to expect than Sliver. Yep. Although Sliver was released as a, a single, uh, again, to promote Incesticide. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Re-release. Okay, so um, two extra tracks I've got uh, lined up. First of all, the solo acoustic demo that uh, uh, Kurt recorded. And we've played mm-hmm. this before. And uh, I know uh, you said yep. <laughs> before we started recording that we you didn't want to play uh, the same thing uh, uh, twice, but you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> oh. Yeah, just because I think there's people uh, out there listening to this who probably don't listen to all of our podcasts 
but uh, specifically come uh, to listen to uh, a podcast on incesticide. And I think it's a really cool, uh, cool outtake. And there's a different, completely different verse in it. And it has been reported that Kurt wrote the lyrics for uh, this song about an hour before recording it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I think this, um, this demo really contradicts that. But especially for you, I've got uh, something else lined up. <laughs> Yay, something uh, new. <laughs> another uh, remarkable um, performance of this song um, at the Reading Festival. I'm not an expert on singing or on vocal techniques, but um, I was, I'm was i always very curious about um, what's going on in this uh, live version of uh, Yeah, well, he he for some weird reason he he changes between his his chest voice and his his head voice his falsetto, but I have no idea why. Um, and also, that's actually quite hard to do. <laughs> so so that's quite good. Maybe he, because he 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 starts out high, right, and then he goes back to an octave lower. So maybe he felt like he couldn't sustain that and just went back. Then again, he only does like one note, so you'd have no idea if that would cause trouble in the in the higher notes when you just sing one of them. Yeah, and, and if you look at the video footage of, of this performance, he seems to be having fun with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's. I mean, you you can hear this is. It's not by accident, or it's not. He's not like. Um, he doesn't have vocal problems. Uh, quite the contrary, actually, because like if if you want to do it like this, you need to have a lot of control of your voice to change like that from one to the other. Um, and we know that um, he took singing quite seriously in his way, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. But um, he did do a lot of trying out of his voice and 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 shouting and and doing all kinds of things to to try out what his voice would sound like so yeah yeah and uh, for more on that um listen to our next episode because we're going <laughs> to discuss side b of incesticide and there's a lot of more of his vocal experimentation i think yep yeah because definitely. there's more of the old nirvana recordings uh, on, uh, on that side uh, of the album okay um so uh, on with uh, the next track. Yeah, let's do it.
song was recorded in the 1989 for an EP they released um, called uh, called Blue. I think it's just a, a fine track. I I don't have much to say about this one. No, it's an, no, it's an okay song and an okay recording. It's sort of back to to like traditional guitar punk, um, which they do well, but it's not. It's good, but it's not exceptional. I like this song, but it 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 feels like it's a bit too long. Even though I don't I don't know the exact length of it, but it can't be. It's not like seven minutes. <laughs> two, two minutes and forty one seconds. Exactly. So like you have you have a song that's that's under like the 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 three minute Eurovision standard. Even <laughs> I like the song in general. It's just it doesn't. It gets boring fast. There's not a lot happening. It's it's a bit too repetitive, I think, for me at least. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not the worst of songs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think it also has to do with with the lyrics, um, because Nirvana songs can have repetitive lyrics, but in this case, it's sort of it's it's too much repetition. Well, I I do think that it's interesting that. Um, he uses two perspectives in his mm-hmm. lyrics. True. Uh, in the in the uh, verses, he uses the third person. Um, in the uh, choruses, he uses the first person. Yep. So that that's interesting. Makes you think. Well, uh, is he talking about himself, or is he describing another person and trying to um, empathize with that person and taking? Yeah, I th- I, th- I think that that does make it a bit interesting, but. Um, yeah, on the whole, I do. Uh, I do agree with you that uh, it's a bit too repetitive. Also, I don't think the production is that good. No, the whole sound of it. Um, it was recorded in a, at the Music Source Studios in uh, in Seattle. That was a bit of a, as I understood it, a bit of a step up from um, the studio they recorded uh, the Bleach album in. Mm-hmm. Also, they had a different uh, producer, Steve Fisk. So. You kind of hope that they would also um, step up the sound just a little bit, that it would all sound just a bit better or more diverse. But I don't think that that's actually the case. No, I agree, and that that also adds to the the the, the repetitiveness and the, the sort of bland feeling that you get. Nothing really sticks out. And to uh, underscore uh, that uh, that feeling. Um, there's a recording uh, from 1992 uh, where they play Stain as a, as a sound check, but it mm-hmm. has been uh, recorded. Uh, it's in the uh, MTV studios uh, in, in New York. And I do think it sounds a bit better there. At least I can get more into the song in, the, in that uh, version. So uh, here we go. think that if I would have been lucky enough to ever see a Nirvana live in concert uh, and they would have played this song, I probably would have enjoyed it and yep. maybe afterwards 
that sometimes happens with songs that it never really hits you until you've seen the band play it live. And this could be one of those songs. You you never know, but uh, it listening to this version, it sort of it sounds like they're in, enjoying themselves playing this. And that sort of there's an energy in there that that isn't on the album. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. For a change, I'm going to announce the next track. I'm just going to hit play. <laughs> yeah, and this is also, I think, a track that doesn't need a lot of announcing, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, I hope you were done with Stain. Yep, cool. I was. And I think, uh, well, I, I kind of wanted to get to uh, Being a Sun because I, I really like this song. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the best um, songs on this album, I think. Yep, I think it's, totally uh, agree. Yeah, I think it's it's a really cool um, example of how good a songwriter Kurt was. It, it, it sounds good. It's 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 catchy. It's simple. Um, I think the for a change and the the, the lyrics and the, the what they are about are very uh, very clear. So um, and sometimes I like to be kept guessing, but it's also nice to get something you can really grasp immediately <laughs> for a change. Can can you can you explain what you what you you like or find interesting about the the lyrics? I mean, you just said like I I, I like the fact that I <laughs> that I know what it's about in this case. But what what do you think is good about it? To me, it's uh, about um, a female person, the she character in the in the lyrics that isn't appreciated or valued because she's a woman. That's a really clear and strong statement and it's in a it's in a poppy catchy song so you can um, catch yourself um, singing along and then afterwards think <laughs> what was i singing i mean yeah <laughs> exactly I, uh, I think that's that's really really interesting and it's also yeah. um to me it also ties in a bit with um with a remark that kurt made in the liner notes for incesticide at the end, he writes, uh, at this point, I have a request for our fans. If any of you in any way hate homosexuals, people of different color or women, please do this one favor for us. Leave us the fuck alone. Don't come to, come to our shows and don't buy our records. So yep. I think it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, clear and I think heartfelt statement. So uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, we'll probably get back to those liner notes a couple of times later with different songs as well, because there's a lot of stuff that he writes in there that also ties into to the rest of the recordings mm. um but he he definitely poured his heart out in those liner notes about how he was feeling at that moment um about music in general about the music industry about the fans about everything that was happening he was also during this period they they did uh a lot of gigs that were for more like political reasons charity gigs things for like gay rights stuff like that he was really thinking about things like that during this period um and it's not often i think that that artists um 
spoke out like that to their fans. I mean, lots of artists say, like, uh, this is what we stand for, but just to say in your liner notes, like, <laughs> fuck off if you... If you yeah. I wonder what the record company thought about that when they read it. <laughs> um, but obviously they accepted it, so... According to um, the book um, Serving the Servant, um, which was written by his, uh, by his manager, um, mm-hmm. years, years after uh, Kurt had passed, uh, apparently, he made several drafts of those liner notes, and he came up with an even um, harsher one um, <laughs> after uh, this one uh, was already shipped for printing. So, uh, right. or at least that's what they told him. So, I think they were uh, a bit relieved that he didn't get any worse for that. And also, <laughs> like you said in the in the beginning, um, Kurt had a complete creative control over uh, yep. over this album. So, um, yeah, he could basically do what he want and uh, yeah he obviously needed to get that uh, office uh, chest so uh, are you ready yeah. for a solo demo version of uh, Be The Sun? Yeah, yeah definitely. Here we go. Peace Park. I don't know why, but I really love the the end of this uh, of this uh, demo version in which he plays the bass part and announces it as yep. the bass part. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I just <laughs> like it. It's just a little thing. Maybe because it proves that he didn't just come up with, or at least he didn't always just come up with a um, basic idea with the song, but in this case also with, with the bass line. Yeah, I like this version as well. Um, also because it's, um, I like the slower pace of it. That's something that um, I think is often the case with Nirvana songs. That that which is <laughs> also I think the the success of the unplugged uh, MTV unplugged thing is that some of their songs when when they play them slightly slower um, they get like a whole new new life. Um, I think that works for this song as well. Um, on the other hand, when you listen to this acoustic demo version. It also maybe resembles a couple of other Nirvana songs a bit too much. Um, Which one are you thinking of? It it feels a bit like songs like Polly, um, just because of the same rhythm and the same same um, the same chord progressions and stuff like that. Eventually, I think that the version that that is is on here um, works better. It's the interesting thing is, I, I know this song, they were first planning to do it for MTV Unplugged as well, but eventually they didn't. I wonder why, maybe also because it maybe resembled a couple of other songs a bit too much, but it's a song that you can you can do a lot with it. I mean, the, 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 I would have loved to hear more different versions from Nirvana as well, yeah. because I think there's there's more in there that... Than, than you can hear here. I, w- I would have loved if they had played this on uh, in the MTV Unplugged uh, session. And perhaps they did do it because they were similar songs because um, Kurt was really aware of that mm-hmm. during the Unplugged yep. session. I don't think it's on the official album, but um, uh, he does say that he don't, did want to play Polly and Dump back to back because exactly. they were basically the same song. 
which <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not really but uh yeah no, he, he was but, aware yeah. of, of things like that yeah i think this song also has um and this is this is again uh, a more poppy song and we talked before about like rem like things this is one of those examples as well i think when when the, the opening of this song is really rem like um and i i can understand them sort of shying away from that later on so yeah and just as a as an example of what different directions you could take this song uh we're going to listen to uh to a cover version um i didn't knew uh, i didn't know about this version until you pointed me out just this afternoon uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's, uh, it's a really interesting one. It's um, the Manic Street Preachers, a band I know, but I don't really know. I mean, I've heard of but them. But you should. Yeah, should I? I know that yep. uh, if you tolerate this song, it doesn't really do it for me. So I never... L- listen to the, the older stuff. I think oh. you'll like that. Oh, I, I will. But right now I'm going to listen to them playing uh, <laughs> Being a Son. Yes. <laughs> This is a really surprising cover. Also, if you know the Manic Street Preachers, they're a, they're a UK band. Um, this is this is not exemplary for their sound. Um, so it's not just a cover that's really different from the original. It's also different from their work. Um, so they apparently heard something in in there that that they were interested in and and made something entirely different. Uh, from it um, and yeah, like like we discussed I think this is a song that you can do a lot with and this proves it and I I like the um, intensity of the singer in this one um, I mean he has a different voice and a different tone than Kurt has but that that sort of frustration that's that's in that song um, I think he conveys that very well so yeah that's why I I like this song. It's it's entirely different, but it does feel like they they caught like the same the same feeling, yeah. which I like. Yeah, I like I like it as well. Um, yeah, okay. Let's, let's. This is not the Manic Street Preachers uh, podcast, <laughs> nor is it the uh, anti Sheeran podcast. So uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> let's uh, continue talking about uh, um, Nirvana. Um, well, we just listened to uh, a cover version of a Nirvana song. Uh, let's now listen to a Nirvana version uh, in a cover song. Original song is by uh, by Devo, uh, a band um, Kurt apparently uh, uh, liked a lot. Quite an 
influential ban Devo. Although again, just like Manic Street Preachers, I don't know that much about um, about them. How's your Devo knowledge? <laughs> my my Devo knowledge isn't isn't that good, but um, and they like you said, they were quite influential. They they started out, I think, somewhere in mid seventies. I know that, um, for instance, David Bowie heard them um, when they were just starting out. Was really a big fan and sort of. He he introduced them to Brian Eno, his producer, and 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 helped them on their way. Um, and Devo is like um, they were quite electronic in their sound. They were a bit new wave. Um, there's some similarities with um, bands like Talking Heads, also in in um, uh, their lyrics. And I think that that's something that. Kurt was interested in as well, um, especially in this song. Um, there's sort of like most of their songs have a lot of social commentary in there, but with a lot of humor. And I think that that really appealed to him. Um, and that was something that they were lauded for as well. Uh, so they were never like, I think they had like two hits or something like that, but they were all, always a sort of a, a, a musician's band, I guess. Um, I think they're, they're. I think it's an interesting choice to do a cover song by a band that sounds so differently. Well, you know what? Let's first listen to the original Devo version. Yep. changes to the song but it sounds so differently just because they use different instruments completely different style i mean devo released this song in 1980 so you can really um, hear that um, 80s sound in there yeah. you know uh, oh it's electronic it's completely uh, <laughs> exactly new and exciting and then uh, <laughs> and, and when nirvana came on it was like oh it's it's guitars and it's raw it's really <laughs> exciting so it's yeah. <laughs> there's something about the the waves in the in the, in fashion and in music industry, I uh, I suppose. But um, it's a, it's an interesting choice. I must say the Nirvana version isn't one of my favorite Nirvana songs. Me neither. Um, I I like what they've done with the song, but I think it to me it doesn't really add that much to the original, other than like. Different, <laughs> different instruments. I mean, they, they've done they've done multiple covers that have more interesting choices in them. And like I said, I think that one of the the, the biggest reasons probably for doing this was well, they liked it. They did this was a this was a BBC session, right? A Peel session, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, they they wanted to to pay a lot of attention to things that that they enjoyed and wanted to have other people hear that. And and yeah, the lyrics are are right up Kurt's alley. I think um, that makes it interesting. But other than that, it's it's interesting for musical history's sake, I'd say, uh, but not for music's sake. I can see where you're coming from. Um, on um, the very first show that Dave Grohl uh, played with Nirvana, um, they played this song. It's one of the few 
live versions, I think. They didn't play it uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that much. So let's listen to a small um, uh, snippet of the turnaround live version with, uh, with uh, Mr. Grohl. And then uh, we move on to uh, Molly's Lips. This is the last song. It's called Turnaround. It's by Devo. song um, was recorded uh, during the same um, John Peel sessions for the for the BBC um, they played a lot of, uh, of uh, covers there well this is such a this is a song that Nirvana played so much that it's almost a Nirvana song I think <laughs> yeah I think so um, they really made it their own yeah yeah definitely I think that this is one of those songs that Probably most people don't even know anymore that that it's a cover. Because they, they they played it in their live shows um, a lot, and yeah, they really really embraced it. I uh, I guess Kurt never um, let go of an uh, opportunity to um, to praise the Vaselines and uh, really uh, really talk them up. And um, he also mentions them um, in those liner notes that we already uh, discussed. He wrote in them, uh, it was as rewarding as the last Vaseline's show in Edinburgh. They reformed just to play with us in their hometown, probably having no idea how exciting and flattering it was for us and how nervous we were to meet them. I think it's really obvious that um, in this case, uh, Kurt writes we, but I think they were really Kurt's <laughs> band. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure exactly. if the other guys were, uh, were as excited and as nervous uh, as he was. No, and, and let's not forget that, that the Vaselines were never a big band anyway. So the fact that, that Kurt was nervous to meet them was, was already um <laughs> mm. I I think there I think there weren't that many fans of the Vaselines even who would have said that because they were not that well known and, and probably pre- pretty approachable yeah. because they didn't play big venues or whatever or had bodyguards or <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it, it was quite funny. Yeah, they were one of the yeah. um, quite quite some bands I think that got attention because um, Nirvana promoted them, covered their songs, yep. um, uh, went on tour with them, and, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, as uh, Kurt points out in his uh, liner notes, he was really happy with that. He, I think he was one of them. Yeah, for him, it was one of the main benefits of uh, 
becoming a big star. They declined going on tour with Guns N' Roses or even U2, I think, asked them. Um, they didn't want to do it um, because they'd rather play their own gigs and then ask uh, bands that they really liked uh, to come along with them. Yeah, which is which is great. And also, like you said, those liner notes, uh, he mentions the Vaselines, but he also mentions a lot of other bands that he loves just to make sure that he has that whole line of artists in there to to let people know about them. And I think that really, at least for me still, but especially back in those days, that really worked. If like any band or artists that mentioned like another band or a book that they read or a movie that they liked, I mean, I would I would immediately try and check it out. Um, and I think a lot of fans are like that. So uh, so it was great of him to uh, to do that and, and take people on tour and, and write about them. Yeah, it was like the 90s version version of uh, retweeting them, I think. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a good uh, comparison. It really worked. Definitely. I, I just pulled up the, the uh, Spotify uh, list of uh, the Vaselines. Um, the most popular songs are uh, Son of a Gun, Jesus, uh, Jesus Wants Me for Sunbeam and Molly's Lips. Uh, <laughs> yep <laughs> all three were covered by uh, by nirvana so um yeah that's uh that says enough uh i uh, i think but just to remind everybody uh how uh, the vaselines actually uh, sounded um here's their uh, original version uh, from uh 1988 of this uh this song she said appealed to Kurt Kurt a lot was those feeling of innocence and yeah it's really naive both the the way they the way they sing it the way it's produced you know with with that uh, with that oink oink horn in in there (laughs) yeah I think he he really uh, admired that and um, uh, probably the same goes for the next uh, song which is also a Vaseline's uh, cover Mm -hmm. Son of a Gun I uh, want to listen to Nirvana first, or do you want to listen to the Vaseline's first? Um, let's go with the Vaseline's first. For, for the Vaselines, that was pretty um, uh, rocking out hard. <laughs> rocking out hard, but in in like 1966 style. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 year is this? Is do you know the, what year the original is from? Uh, I think so. It's from 1987. Wow! Wow! It it it's just it sounds so 60s. Yeah. Surf, mamas and the papas. Yeah, but with Mix. just just a, just a little twist on it. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, which 
again is something that probably uh, Kurt really liked. I mean, he liked sixties pop and surf pop as well. But yeah, he always, at least in his own music, he always wanted to you know twist things around just a little bit or put just a little bit of weirdness in there to keep it interesting. Yeah, just a bit, a bit spooky. Yeah. Um, what what I what I find interesting about this original version before we go to the <laughs> to the Nirvana version is that it's um like you said it it there's there's this 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 weird sort of combination of of innocence and female voices and to, to me sort of a <laughs> I'd say a sort of sarcasm in there that that sort of feels like it it appealed to to Kurt, I mean, he um, he was also a big fan of uh, Shonen Knife, the Japanese band. They toured with him as well. We mentioned them. That's also a band with like uh, Japanese women singing in high voices, sort of bubbly pop, sixty songs. And it all the the weird thing to me is, um, even though I I I like all of that, it to me it feels like there is like an extra layer in there in the original already, like this this son of a gun version by the Vaselines. Um, like I would use it in like as a counterpoint, for instance, in a movie where something happens that isn't all bubbly and and happy, just because it feels like there's there's something off about it. I, I, I do get the same sense, just just a little bit, but I'm not. I mean, there isn't. Sense. I think there isn't. They don't mean it like that, but to me, it sounds like that. But maybe that's my mind. <laughs> I just don't maybe. trust bubbly songs. I guess. <laughs> maybe, um, and also I don't pick up on the sarcasm that you mentioned. No, but that's that's what I mean. It's the 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 whole like we're singing it like this, but there's something entirely different going on. That's what I mean with the sarcasm. I mean, sarcasm isn't the right word, but mm. it's it, because it's not in the song, because it's so genuine, it starts to feel ungenuine. But again, I, that that's probably me. Right. <laughs> but it's, I, it's, it's, I was just wondering if that's something that, that Kurt maybe heard as well, because his version of versions of these songs are not as innocent. I think you're right there. I, th- I think he really admired that innocence, and I think that he knew that if he if he would sing those songs, it it wouldn't it, it would automatically bring something different to the table, just by the kind of person he was, um, the band he was in, uh, the way his voice sounded, and the way he used it, and uh, yeah. So um, I think we've waited long enough. Here's the Nirvana version. <laughs> This song, I like um, what Nirvana did with it. I think in this mm-hmm. case, uh, yeah, the cover version really, uh, really adds something to it, and it, uh, yeah, I think it's one of the coolest songs on this uh, on this album. I like the way Kurt sings this because he, it's one of one of 
well, not one of the only songs, but I mean, most songs um, he will alter his voice or do more screaming or do different kind of takes on it. Um, and and this song is just he's just singing basically, <laughs> um, which I find interesting um, because that actually does make it sound more genuine in this case. And I also like that in this one and and also in in um, Molly Slips, by the way, is that um, they kept some of the harmonies in there, which regular um, listeners to the podcast know that you're a sucker for harmonies. (laughs) Exactly. Just put in some harmonies and I like it. (laughs) Listen to that Ed Sheeran. You know what to do. Um, (laughs) No, but um, I like I like the fact that the, the fact that they kept it in even though Nirvana wasn't that big on doing harmonies usually um, shows that they um, at least realized that that was uh, an important part of the song. And I think the fact that they did maintain a couple of those harmonies there um, adds to to their uh, depth of, of doing a cover like that. So the next one is... Um another song that they recorded for the BBC but in this case it's a different uh, different session it was for uh, Mark Goodyear's uh, The Evening Session um, I must say I don't know the guy and I don't know that radio show but uh, who cares uh, he recorded Nirvana and we got the song so uh, <laughs> it's all uh, <laughs> it's all good um, and it's uh, it's an electric version or I think they uh, you know with a kind of uh, wink to uh, to the audience, make a bit of a joke of it. It's called a new wave the party. Probably wants a cracker. Think I should get out for her first. Maybe she wants some water to put out the blowtorch. Isn't me? Have a seat. Let me clear up. Dirty ways. Let me take a ride. Let yourself. I must say, I don't think this version does the song any good. Do you? Nope. It does do the band good, though, because they play it really well. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> I could live without this version, but I love the drum fills. Played by uh, Mr. Grohl. Yes. Yeah. You know, given the content of the song and what it, knowing what it eventually became... Um, yeah, I think this is like a bit of a, a throwaway experiment. But it is interesting, though, that because it was a pretty old song already and they tried a lot of different things with it. Um, I have two of those uh, um, older versions uh, lined up. Um, first, here's a, a, a four-track uh, solo demo by, uh, by Kurt. Haven't you something mean? Stop to mean something new. Magazine, stop to real, stop to fake. Give you rise, see the same. Sin my team, this dream. And it's already a bit toned down, but still, it's an electric guitar, but it's a clean electric guitar. And he's already doing uh, doing the harmonies, so it's it's yeah. This is I think like the bit of the basic 
version that he came up mm-hmm. with, and then they had to figure out with the entire band how to play it. And sometimes they would play it loud, and sometimes a bit a, a bit softer or something uh, something in between. Um, so here's a more of an in between version, I think, that does have a full band, but it isn't new wave. <laughs> <laughs> say i like this last um, full band demo version a lot better than the um, sped up electric guitar new wave version thank you <laughs> yeah yeah I, I totally agree um i think it also that new wave poly um i that <laughs> the whole new wave bit is is i mean it's clearly a wink but if if you listen to it carefully it's not new wave. Uh, <laughs> if you want to be purist about it, I think it's also because they like new wave was big in the UK and and they they played a session over there. So I think they they just wanted to have some fun with that. But it lacks. Um, they they play it really well and really tight, but it lacks heart. I think, yeah. um, which you can hear in in the versions that you just played. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I mean, it's a song about a, a serious um, um, subject. Um, we've already discussed this uh, when we did uh, a Nevermind uh, album. But uh, hey, if they wanna, if they put on the same song on several albums, we have to talk about it several <laughs> times. So, uh, and and it's in the liner notes as well because he he mentioned he mentions this song in the liner notes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, last uh, last paragraph of the liner notes read. Uh, Last year, a girl was raped by two wastes of uh, sperm and eggs while they sang the lyrics to our song Polly. I have a hard time carrying on knowing there are plankton like that in our audience. Sorry to be so anally uh, politically correct, but that's the way I feel. That could also be the reason for having it included like this here to sort of a a fuck you to uh, the people who who did that. Um, Sorry about the swearing. People who don't like that. <laughs> uh, I, I think they stopped listening uh, to us uh, a long time ago. I mean, not, not that <laughs> yeah, we swear true. a lot, but I think there are some lyrics in Nirvana songs and, and uh, stuff that we read that Kurt wrote that probably offended but, but uh, scared off people uh, who don't like that. The other thing about having this song included here um, that I think is interesting also because it's in the liner notes is that apparently... Um, this is this is the end of side A, and yeah. apparently uh, Kurt put it here um, because the original poly is also the end of side A. Yeah, and, and there's something I only realized today when I checked it. Uh, poly is also the end of side A uh, of the uh, Unplugged in New York album. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so apparently they think it's the perfect closing song for uh, a sign <laughs> of, of a record. Exactly. That's that's interesting. <laughs> of course, at, at, at this point, uh, yeah, you have to be a bit older to even know what side A and side B means. <laughs> and even back then, because um, uh, vinyl records were already being replaced pretty, uh, pretty rapidly by uh, CDs and there also you don't have a 
side A and side B, and now with the whole um, uh, streaming uh, um, generation, it's probably just a thing uh, from uh, from the past. But uh, yeah, I checked it on my uh, my vinyl uh, record because it just occurred to me that apparently um, Polly is a bit of a showstopper for them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, about the sequencing, uh, I've, I've, I've tried to do some research on it. I've never seen an interview where um, Kurtz um, explains his choices, not for the song selection and also not for um, the order he put them in. Uh, so it's just speculation that he put Polly here because it's also the closing song of Side A of Nevermind that he uh, reversed the order of the um, BBC sessions because apparently they were different as well. And now it starts with Turn Around and he he swapped side A and side B from the Dive and Sliver single, or actually I should say yep. the Sliver and Dive single. Um, but <laughs> exactly. it's, it's a bit speculation because I, I've never seen a credible source quoting Kurt on it or if anybody else... No had an influence on it um, explaining it so yeah it, it, it does make for an interesting um, first half of a, what, what is basically a, a rarities collection it's an interesting collection of of songs that um, that do work in this order I think I mean you you obviously you feel that it's not a a proper album um, but it doesn't feel like this A-side is like some sort of random collection either. It does have some coherence, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think this is more of like the, the pop side. And then when we, uh, next time when we come back with, uh, with the podcast and we are uh, going to listen to and discuss a side B, then we go more to the hard rock grunge side of, uh, of Nirvana, yep. especially in their, uh, in their early days. And uh, I am just guessing that they're that's intentionally it must be yeah I, I, I guess Kurt wanted to uh, communicate to his audience that they always had these both uh, sides in them I did enjoy um, re-listening um, just aside a couple of times for this um, for this podcast because I must say I don't play it that much no me neither but getting back to it and and really thinking about it as as an album, as a package, as something that, like we said, Kurt had full creative control over. So listening to it with with that idea in mind, um, yeah, it's 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 really a nice a nice listen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I can imagine that um, if you were a, a Nirvana fan back in the days and you were desperately waiting for uh, for new material, that you would be really really pleased uh, with this and if you were a, a newfound Nirvana fan who just liked uh, the hit singles of uh, of uh, Nevermind then you might be turned down a bit and I've, I have the feeling that that is exactly what Kurt was going for <laughs> yep provide something good for his uh, real fans and maybe scare off the the fans he didn't appreciate anyway so um, yep. yeah I think uh, it, it really serves that uh, that purpose. So, is there anything um, we need to say before we're gonna close off this uh, this episode? I don't think so. Maybe a a, a last tip for our listeners. Um, don't listen to Ed Sheeran. 
<laughs> nah, I think I said that already. <laughs> no, I um I saw a version online on YouTube of Molly's lips, uh, where the Foo Fighters uh do it, and uh, Chris is a guest, so he comes on stage and plays it with them. It's a really nice version to to see, and what I really enjoyed was seeing um, uh, Dave uh, play guitar and sing the song and then seeing the Foo Fighters drummer do the harmonies, <laughs> um, which I which I found a, a really nice touch. Um, so if you're into that song, um, go in and find that on YouTube because it's a, it's a really nice, uh, nice live version, uh, a recent one of, of the remaining uh, Nirvana members let's put it on our uh, youtube uh, or let's put it on our facebook page uh, yeah which can good be idea on, uh, facebook.com slash nirvana podcast and that's also a very uh, easy way uh, to reach us if you have anything uh, to say to us uh, maybe you want to defend at sheeran maybe you want to uh, <laughs> tell us a bit more about devo uh, whatever uh, feel free to send us uh, a message uh, somebody who did that is a guy called uh, tom kingswood um, he reached out to us on uh, on Facebook and he sent me a complete list of facts and notes on uh, on the Incesticide album. So uh, thanks, Tom, cool. for uh, for providing us uh, that. Another way to reach us would be to send us an email. You can send that to SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. And I'm not going to comment on the weirdness of that email address this time because I always do that. Two more things. I would like to thank... Uh, Joop Hulleghi, the Dutch piano player for playing our theme music and also I'd like to thank you for joining me once again in yet another episode of the Nirvana podcast. Yes, thank you. It was a pleasure. On to side B. On to side B and I hope everybody listening right now will tune in again uh, next time and also if you like what we are doing here um, please tell your friends about it uh, uh, share our show on your social media give us uh, five star reviews if you think uh, that we deserve it and we really appreciate that for now uh, thanks for listening and until next time bye goodbye